coolest music ever, right? So epic. Anyway, hi everybody. Good to see all of you. Those of you who are online, we're so glad that you're with us as well. And uh, just knowing that um, there is a lot of illness and travel going on, I know there's a few of you online today, which is great. I'm glad that you're able to make it. Uh, as you can tell, I still have this uh, very white thing going on in my voice. Um, so one of the interesting things that has occurred is I have um, matured, I'll use that word, <laughs> although that's a bit questionable, um, is that uh, sometimes your body doesn't do exactly what it used to do in the past. And so um, um, I'm, I'm a lot better now than I was just a few days ago, but I actually coughed so hard I threw my back out. <laughs> like, what, when did I become that guy? I mean, when did that actually happen? My chiropractor was laughing at me, and he said, well, if that happened, I know that that's going to be a really loud crack. Let me record it so I can put it on YouTube. Because apparently that's the thing now. Chiropractors are are recording cracks and then putting it out on YouTube. He says, I'll blur out your face. I'm like, because I have a face for radio. I understand that. So anyway, he thought it was quite amusing. I, th- I thought it was amusing only after he had, you know, actually finished and my back felt better. So anyway, so I am glad to, uh, to be here <coughs> and not feeling like I'm going to, like, lose a lung or something. So anyway, hopefully the rest of you We'll stay away from this, but apparently there's a, a couple of different viruses going around right now, so please stay safe. Um, before I get rolling here, I want to I wanna talk about something. Last week I had mentioned this, and um, uh, we have been in discussion with someone to be our new kids director, and today I can announce that we have hired somebody, and I want to um, kind of pre-introduce you. Um, she may be watching, I don't know. But anyway, um, this is Sophia Salazar. She is our new director of children's ministry. She's a recent ORU grad, and um, uh, she's originally from Colombia, but her parents planted a church in Mexico City, and she has been involved in their kids' ministry program um, when she's not been at school. So she completely understands uh, church planting and kids' ministry and all of the challenges. So we are really excited, um, very sharp uh, young lady, and thrilled that um, she's decided to join our team. Um, I, I talked with her, um, Dan talked with her, a couple of our directors have, and, and uh, she's very, very sharp, so we're excited. Uh, hopefully she'll have some type of video for us next week. We'll see how that goes. Um, the plan is that she'll be here, her first Sunday will be the 24th of July. Now, there's a lot of details, as you can imagine, between now and the 24th of July that she's trying to work through. So I'm just going to ask that each of you would pray for her, uh, and that it would be a smooth transition with no complications, um, especially when you're traveling internationally. Uh, Obviously, that can be um, fraught with difficulty from time to time. Um, she's also trying to, you know, finish working out roommate situations and, you know, where she's going to live and that sort of thing. So lots of uh, little details um, to uh, work through. So we're just going to ask that the Lord would bless that as well and uh, that she would find favor in the ministry that she does here. So uh, we're thrilled that she's um, becoming part of our church family. So be praying for Sophia and be uh, watchful on things on Facebook and social media for for some other details as they come up, okay? So anyway, um, really, really excited about this. 
Okay, now, um, we're going to continue in our series following the life of, of, of David, who is a shepherd made king. And uh, let, me just, let me just pick up the passage here. I want, we're going to be in 2 Samuel, um, but I'm going to be bouncing around quite a bit. So I'll have the um, scripture passages for you up on, on the screen. Hopefully you can read them okay. And here we are in Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. <coughs> goes on. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over uh, Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So this is very common that we find in the, uh, in the Old Testament. It talks about the reign of a king, the length of time, and very often the location of, um, of where their reign uh, occurred. So we see that a lot. But <clears throat> this is the moment when all of Israel gathers together, because if you remember previously, he was made king over Judah, which is one of the tribes. And now that um, all of the civil war is, is over and all of the fun stuff that we talked about uh, last, last week, the intrigue related to Abner and Joab and, and you know, the vast, uh, or that uh, cast of characters, um, here we are, he's now king. And all of Israel gathers together and they acknowledge that he is such. And so this is a turning point actually in the story um, this has been probably roughly 10 years of, of fighting, and God finally fulfills what he anointed. Remember, because um, Saul lost the Lord's favor, and, and David was anointed king before Saul actually left the throne. And, and here's the thing that I want you to remember, and this is, I think, is really important. If God declares it, God's going to fulfill it. I think we forget that sometimes. Um, that if God actually declares something, he is going to fulfill it. And it won't necessarily be on your timeline, but it will be fulfilled. Now here's the thing though, and, I, and I, this is just crucial that we understand this. I think there's a, a lot of folks who kind of give this a and go, well yeah, if God declares it, then he's going to fulfill it. But the problem is a lot of us, we don't fully understand what God is declaring because we're not listening. We're not checking in with him. Now, I'm not saying that to, to shame you or make you feel bad, but I'm just saying is, look, if you want to have God's uh, fulfilled promises in your life and you want to know the things he declared, you kind of got to check in with them, right? I mean, if you want to know what your wife or your spouse thinks about something, you actually have to ask them, right? I mean, most of the time. But the point is, is that if you have a relationship with someone and you want to understand, you, you have to have a conversation with them. And so God is going to fulfill what God declares, but how are, do you know what he declares if you're not checking in with him? It seems simple, but it's not necessarily easy. And he gets to decide how and when. And like David, our job is to be faithful and be patient. How you doing with that? <laughs> right? Patience is, is a challenge, I think, for all of us. And uh, as we'll see, fulfillment is rarely an end of anything, but usually the start of something new or something else. And I think that's an important feature, too, that, yes, God may declare something, and God's going to fulfill it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the end. It's usually the beginning of something else. There's something else that's, that's coming that God is prepping us for. 
There's always that next step to take with Jesus. Always. And, you know, I don't care how old you are. I don't you know, care how long you've been a Christian or not been a Christian or whatever. Look, everybody has another step to take with God. So let's go on. <clears throat> um, chapter 5, verse 6. The king, meaning David, and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. Okay. I need to hit the pause button here because I think this is an, an important thing to, to chat about just for a moment. Some history, I think, is important and we should talk about it. <clears throat> Israel has had a long uh, relationship, I'll call it that, a long history with Jerusalem and the Jebusites. Now, most of us know that Jerusalem is the current capital of Israel and has been for eons of time. Well, it wasn't always that way. It actually was held by this group of people called the Jebusites, a, a Canaanite tribe that held this particular spot in the hill country in Israel. So there's a couple things that we should, we should chat about. First of all, let's talk about Jerusalem itself. It was an ancient city um, even by the time of, of King David. I mean, this city has been around a long, long time. Um, I remember recently um, with all of the craziness that had gone on in, um, in the Middle East, there was discussion about a city uh, outside of um, Damascus called Palmyra uh, that was, was very ancient. It was on ancient crossroads. And just how old it was, nobody really knew, but it was many thousands of years old. Well, Jerusalem is kind of like that. Maybe not quite that old, but still, because of its strategic importance and where it was on some major roads, it had been a settlement for a long period of time. There's a lot of history. Human beings have occupied that site for thousands and thousands of years. And so um, it's important because of its location in the hill country itself and also the proximity to the trade routes. But it also proved to be quite troublesome um, to Israel. We'll talk about that in a second. The Jebusites, um, those uh, people who occupied that particular site, actually mentioned in Genesis. Uh, you can actually see a reference to them in Genesis. And <coughs> when um, God brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt and brought them to the promised land. You remember the story they sent scouts, right? And um, when the scouts go into Israel, they send 12 of them and two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, yes, this is ours, let's go take it. And the rest of the, the other 10 said, no, they're, they're too strong for us. Well, actually the Jebusites appear in those reports. So we know that in Genesis they're mentioned. We also know that they're mentioned here um, <coughs> at the time of the conquest, well, actually before the time of the conquest, in the time of the Exodus, we see that as well. And here's the interesting thing, is that in Deuteronomy, God gives a command. He says, however, in the cities of the nations of the Lord your God, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Wow. Um, completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and, yeah, here they are, the Jebusites. 
These are people who lived in Canaan, and as God was trying to carve out a place for his people, um, they appear on the list of those who are to be driven out. This you can find in Deuteronomy chapter 20. <coughs> Let's see. Um, and here's the reason why. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. So the idea here is literally carve out this place and, and try to uh, eliminate the, um, the negative factors that, you, uh, that, that might influence you know, their behavior, especially religiously. So here we are in Deuteronomy, this idea that these folks are to be driven out. Now, let's, let's see how effective Israel actually was at this. Now, we're going to be bouncing around. I'm going to be skipping rocks here just a little bit just to try to show you some places within the scripture, um, we see what, what actually occurs. So Joshua chapter 15. So this is what we call the conquest of Canaan. Egypt um, gave up Israel finally, and they went to the promised land, decided that they weren't going to attack it, and God said, okay, you're going to wander around for 40 years. So they did. But upon their return, Joshua is now the commander, and he begins the conquest of Canaan. Notice what it says here in uh, chapter 15 of Joshua. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites. This is the tribe of Judah. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. So God said, drive them out. And in Joshua, it says that they, they were unable to do so. Now, if you know your Bible, it's Joshua. What's the next next um, book you know judges right okay so judges chapter one the men of judah attacked jerusalem also and took it they put the city to the sword and set it on fire well, that's interesting it's at the end of joshua now at the beginning of Ju uh, judges it's a little bit different ah but let's go on still in judges chapter one verse 19 the lord was with the men of judah they took possession of the hill country but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. So those people in the plain had a technological advantage. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites lived there with the Benjamites. So you've got Judah and the Benjamites, uh, two tribes that are closely aligned and have been throughout history. Now, interestingly enough, too, and we'll talk about this in the future, but the Benjamites were um, known to have a special warrior caste within their tribe. Uh, very f it's a fascinating story. Um, but you've got this special, they're kind of like the commandos of ancient, ancient Israel. Uh, interesting uh, storyline. But even they had trouble driving out the, the Jebusites. Now remember, didn't say Judah took it and burned it? Well, now here we are again, and the Benjamites couldn't do it. It's a little confusing, right? So, verse 28. When Israel became strong, they, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Right? So, we're talking about ancient history here, and we're talking about uh, a long period of time, and, and so there were a lot of events that actually, you know, took place. But we get final commentary in, in Judges chapter 3. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Which is completely the, what, what God didn't want for them in Deuteronomy, right? Isn't that what God said? Like, look, if you're, you know, you need to drive them out, and here we are, the beginning of Judges, and they weren't able to accomplish it. It's fascinating. You know, this is not what God wanted for them. So it seems um, that they took the city of Jerusalem, but they were unable to hold on to it. That's the best understanding of, of, these, um, of these verses. So the campaign into Canaan, uh, Canaan wasn't completely successful. And then, of course, they dealt with the ramifications of this for years and years afterwards, right? So this is really kind of an interesting historical feature that what God asked them to do, they were unable to accomplish. And um, it does seem like they had partial success, but they weren't actually able to occupy that city for any length of time. And so, consequently, now Israel had a fighting king. Not just one that reacted emotionally like Saul, but one who was strategically minded. I mean, David had n- at least 10 years of combat experience. Plus, he had gathered a group of of not only um, soldiers around him, but also other leaders uh, that were also battle-hardened. You know, we're not talking about any slouch. We are talking about a fighting king who is also loyal to God, and now he gets a crack at Jerusalem, okay? So 2 Samuel 5, here we are. The king's men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David... Captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Yeah, after all of that, David marches in there and takes, takes care of business. I mean, seriously, takes care of it. <clears throat> so here we are at uh, uh, chapter 5. And just a few verses later, David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Hmm. In short, David united Israel in a way that Joshua, the judges, including Samuel, or Saul could not. Think about that for a moment. You've got a lot of years of history here. You have some pretty significant individuals um, that were led by God to do great things, and yet nobody but David was able to actually unify the whole country. Now, <coughs> whether this was deliberate on David's part, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> whether it was deliberate on David's part or the uh, Old Testament editors casting the great king in an extraordinary light, I can't be certain. Um, but the point is, is that David was able to accomplish something. And the message is clear. With God's help, David did it. Right? I mean, he says that. Um, the author says that very clearly. So David builds his capital in Jerusalem and it becomes the seat of Hebrew power for millennia. It still is to this day. Now it's divided and there's all kinds of conflict that's going on, but still to this day that is the recognized seat of power for most, most Jews. Now, <coughs> I was thinking about this um, the other day. And it seems to me that Jerusalem was one of those, I'll call them recurring problems, right? So, you know, God said you're supposed to do this. They weren't ever actually able to do it. 
Finally, David comes along and he's able to take care of it, but this, it's this thing that comes up over and over again. I mean, the tribe of Judah took it but couldn't keep it. Even Benjamin, with their warrior cast, they were unable to do it. Saul was so preoccupied with Philistia, his enemies outside his borders, and he was preoccupied with David, the, the, um, the you know, usurper king, <laughs> Um, that he paid very little attention to Jerusalem, as far as we can tell. And so we've got this kind of history with this, with this particular city, and it reminds me of something. I don't know how you feel about it, but it always seems like human beings have issues that resurface. Have you noticed that? We all have these issues that resurface in our own lives. There there's a, used to be this old, um, old saying called, a bad penny keeps turning up, right? I have no idea where that comes from. I didn't have time to look it up. Um, but I remember my, my, my grandfather and my father talking about a bad penny keeping turn, keep turning up. I don't, I don't know what it means. If you do, let me know afterwards, or if you're online, put it in the comment section so that I can know <laughs> what it actually means. That would be great. But think about it. Every one of us has that thing that keeps showing up over and over again. It might be conflict in a relationship, right? You know, it just seems like whenever you're talking to this person, um, whether it's a family member or a coworker or somebody that you know, uh, it's just this one particular conflict. It keeps coming up over and over and over again, and you just can't, can't get past it for whatever reason. Or um, very often, <laughs> remember, it's that lesson that you thought you learned, Right? You know, you thought you had learned that lesson a long time ago, and yet here it is again, and you're wondering, I'm like, okay, I thought I learned this lesson. And then you hear God snickering at you in the background, right? <laughs> no, not yet. You're, you're getting there, but, you know, but you still, you have that. You have this, this, you know, lesson that keeps coming up over and over again. Or that emotion that keeps being triggered, and you're not sure why, but it just keeps coming up. Um, or that one problem that never seems to be solved, Am I just preaching to myself here? Because, I mean, I, I mean I, I've experienced this. I, I, I know that other people have as well. It's this thing that just, it's like this revolution that keeps coming back over and over again, and you, you keep um, bumping into it. And the truth of the matter is, it's because our world is, is marred by sin and suffering, and we all carry junk, every one of us. It's no wonder that the stuff comes back around again, because we live in a world where it's an environment for that. Um, it may be abuse or dysfunction or addictions that we've experienced. It might be emotions like anxiety or, or anger. M- but again, you know, when we're dealing with that type of world, it's no wonder that there's still lessons that need to be learned over and over again. And that there's conflict that keeps coming up or emotions that are triggered. And <coughs> I really like the way Rick Warren um, labeled them. He calls them hurts, habits, and hangups. And we all have them. Hurts, habits, and, and hang-ups. And, you know, he's, he's a good Southern Baptist, and so everything is alliterated, and everything starts with an H. And I like it because then I can remember it, right? Um, but I think, it's, I think it's an important, um, uh, not important, I think it's really helpful to have, have those. And, and we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And it represents the fact that, you know, we all have a certain amount of brokenness. Now, I want to make a comment about brokenness here. And I really hesitated to do this for a moment, but I think it's, it's important because in today's society, it seems to me, mm, you know, maybe you've experienced this too, but it seems to me that we, we live kind of in this environment right now or this society 
where um, it's popular to acknowledge your flaws, but to deny your brokenness. You know, think about that for a moment. Because it, it just seems to me that, you know, as we, you know, watch things on TV or, you know, whatever your, your news source is, that, you know, people are, are quick to, to acknowledge the fact that they have flaws, but nobody is willing to say that they're broken. In fact, there's kind of this thought as, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. You're okay the way you are. And you know what? I get it. I understand where that comes from. Um, the statement is, is meant to somehow kind of protect us from guilt and shame. You know, it's like, well, you know, everybody is, has got their issues too, and, you know, I've got mine, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that flaw. But here's the question that I want to ask, and, and this is, I think, really important. <clears throat> and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, so it's okay. If there's no real brokenness in the world, then why did Jesus come? I gotta be honest, that one bothers me. Because if there's no real brokenness, if people aren't, you know, broken and scarred and marred and, and, and there's problems within their heart, then why did, why did Jesus come at all? You know, it's not that we wallow in the fact that, that you know, we have some brokenness. But it, wouldn't it make sense to kind of start with reality? I mean, all of us are a little bit messy, right? That's more than just acknowledging flaws. It means that there's, there's some things that are fundamentally problematic deep down inside of us. And uh, I, I've seen this a lot in, like, um, movies and popular culture where it's, it's like you have somebody who's um, dealing with some stuff and everyone's, uh, at least, uh, you know, on the show is quick to point out, well, you're not broken, you're not broken. And I'm like, yeah, you are. I mean, we are, all of us. I don't, I don't think we need to dwell there, but I think there has to be some acknowledgement that there's something fundamentally wrong with the world that we live in, and none of us gets out unscathed. None of us. We all have stuff. Things happen to us. Horrible things happen to, to, um, to um, young people, and, and there's um, implications to that that happen later on in their life. And Jesus isn't a, a sticker slapped on you that says, you know, improved. I, I think this is really important. It doesn't say new and improved. It just says new. Jesus didn't come to make you the best version of yourself. Jesus came to make you new. That's different. He didn't come to improve you. He came to make you new. Why? Because we have brokenness. Every one of us do at some level. He didn't come to make you better. Jesus came to make you new. That is a fundamentally different sort of thing because I think it deals with with reality. In Revelation chapter 21, <coughs> Jesus, um, uh, it says, he who was seated on the throne, that was, was, was God, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay, this is the end of the story, right? Revelation chapter 21. I am making everything new. It's not I'm trying to make everything better. It's not trying to improve on things. I'm not trying to make incremental improvements. I'm making everything new. 
writer Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, notice that he said that the better creation has come. The improved, the, uh, um, you know, slightly more. The old has gone and the new has come. It's not come to make you better. It's come to make you new. And that implies that there is something fundamentally wrong with the old. There is something broken about it. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't meet you where you are. I mean, he loves you. I mean, he loves you right where you are and is willing to take you um, from there. But he, but he leads you to, towards something more. He leads you to newness. And I think that's the thing that um, we miss in all of this. Um, there's quite a bit of discussion about, um, you know, sin um, in the world today. You know, you can pick your, your, your topic. But <clears throat> it's, it's this idea, well, God doesn't make junk. No, he doesn't actually make junk. But the point is, is that we live in a fallen and broken world. It's the, what we call the doctrine of original sin. I don't hear anybody talking about that. But it really comes down to the fact that when we're born into this world, we're born into a broken system. And all of us are affected by it in some way, shape, or form. There is brokenness, period. And that's the point of Jesus. In fact, the early Christian um, confession was um, Jesus came to undo the works of the devil. Oh, praise God for that. That implies that the work of the devil is alive and active in the world today. Does this make sense? And some of us know that better than others. Some of us have experienced that work of the devil in ways that other people have not. And that's why Jesus has come. Because Jesus is the renewer, the restorer, the redeemer, those things. So he meets you where you are and loves you, but he also leads you to something new. To something more than what you could possibly do on your own. Uh, it's the phrase that we often use around here, um, come as you are, but don't stay that way. You know, we want you to be new in Christ. And I think the key to, to dealing with this recurring problem, okay, that the, <laughs> the secret sauce in dealing with that thing that keeps coming up in your life over and over again is found in, in, in that uh, verse 10. And he became more and more powerful, this is David, because the Lord God Almighty was with him. That's right there, the piece of the puzzle. Because the Lord God Almighty was with him. That's the difference that all of this, um, that, that he actually makes. And so here we have our discipleship triangle. You can, you can see that up there. <clears throat> and this, this, um, this bottom part here, right there, that's what we're talking about. When you have that relationship with God, um, that's where you learn who you are. I mean, really learn who you are. Not who someone else says that you are, but who you really are. And God gives you that identity that you need. And then he empowers you to live out um, your relationship in your life. So we want to be in the bottom part of that triangle. That's the relational aspect to it. See, here's the thing that I've noticed is that typically when we try to live, well, when you're in relationship with God and you begin to understand what your identity is, 
You can live out of that. You can minister out of that. But if you don't, the alternative is pretty clear. You don't live out of your identity. You live completely out of your insecurity. And I've seen this with a lot of um, ministers in ministry because we often talk about the top of the triangle um, as being our assignment, the thing that God has placed us, us to do, and especially when we're talking with pastors. If you hit, look, the sacred trust that God gives a minister is too heavy for that minister by themselves. Can't do it. And so I've got to learn how to minister out of my identity, otherwise I will attempt to do it out of my insecurity. But the same is true for just living life. Right? If you try to live your life out of your identity, that's empowered by God. But if you, if you don't, you're going to live your life out of your insecurity. And I know a lot of people who do that. See it all the time. That's not a judgment. It's just an observation. And so you need to spend, if you're a follower of Jesus, that time with him, listening to him, trying to learn what your identity is so that you can live out of that rather than out of your insecurities. And really, that's the key to addressing some of those recurring problems. Is because my guess is, is that um, whatever your issue is, whatever your thing is that keeps coming up, probably has some insecurity there at, at the center of it. That would be my guess. Maybe some other things, but insecurity. I'm, I'm not much of a betting man, but I'd be willing to take that bet, I think. So I don't know where you are today, um, but I was just kind of thinking about this and in a group of any size, you're going to find people who are trying to, you know, learn the same lesson over and over again for whatever reason. And so I, I really feel like um, this is appropriate um, because the world is a bit crazy right now. And um, I don't want to try to deal with this life in my insecurity. I want to try to deal with life, you know, based out of the identity that God, God gives me out of, out of this calling that he's placed in my life. And so my hope for you is that you too would be known as someone who had God with them, right? Because that's what David was really known as. Yes, he was loyal, but he grew more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. And that's what I hope for all of you, is that as you go throughout your week, you find yourself making different decisions because the Lord God Almighty is with you. Does this make sense? Let's pray. God, you're good to us. You want to be with us. And there are things that you want to do in our lives and there's successes that you want us uh, to have and uh, you have made a way for us in order to do that. if we're listening and paying attention. So God, my prayer is that for every person that's here is that they would spend uh, time with you, listening to you, developing this relationship um, with you that they can actually hear your voice. They can have a deep sense of confidence that you are leading them and guiding them that they don't have to just kind of wander through life. 
And God, I recognize that even as I'm praying this for others, I'm also praying this for myself, that I too want to be guided by, by your wisdom and your goodness. I don't want to miss out on anything that you have for us. And, and it, whether it's, it's power or it's success or whatever it happens to be, I just want to be known that the Lord God Almighty is with me. And I pray that for every person that's gathered here as well. That this would be a church um, that would be so present-centered that people would know that the Lord God Almighty is with us. And you get to decide what that means, Lord, because this is your church. And just as a, as a body of, of believers, uh, we acknowledge once again that you are the Lord. You are the ruler. You are the master. You are the king of this church, of this body. We look forward to seeing what you have to do and how you're going to do it. As we go into this week, let us be mindful of the fact that you are with us, that you want to be with us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.